0: Hello and welcome to the Conversation Podcast. I'm Don Gettinger, a Quality Improvement Advisor with QSource.
1: And I'm Tara Hatfield, Education Outreach Coordinator, also with QSource.
0: Welcoming today our guest, Stephanie Lambert. How are you doing today, Stephanie?
2: Oh, I'm doing well. Happy to be with you.
0: Tell us a little bit about your background.
2: For most of my career, I've been working in government healthcare programs. I'm located in Kansas and worked for Several years on Medicare and Medicaid quality improvement at the statewide level. Currently, I'm working with a company called X4Health, and I provide subject matter expertise on health equity and other topics. A lot of the projects I've worked on in both the Medicare and Medicaid have had components that are really trying to address inequity in health care for children, for adults. Unfortunately, it's pervasive in the system. It's a really hopeful time to be working in this area though, because there's just a lot of focus by all of the institutions in healthcare from professional societies to government agencies to hospitals and physicians. Everybody is more aware of disparities and trying to make changes.
0: So we're talking today about culturally and linguistically appropriate services or class. Let's just do a little bit of definition. What do we mean by class and why is it important?
2: Class, as you said, is an acronym and it stands for culturally and linguistically appropriate care. What it is intending to do is to consider patients' cultural health beliefs, preferred language, health literacy and communication needs to improve our communication as healthcare professionals to improve patients' health outcomes. Access to information by itself is not enough. People need information that they can understand and use to take charge of their health care and improve their health. Stephanie, do you mind to
1: expand a little bit on what you mean by culturally competent care and maybe an example?
2: When we talk about class, a lot of times, we're talking about race and preferred language. and There's really more to it than that. Each patient has a specific cultural context and lived experience. And how culture plays into their outcomes is really important. For providers, it is important to understand that there are a lot of culturally specific things that can be different for people from different cultures. You know, things from nonverbal communication and how somebody uses icon pack to gender and family roles to pain tolerance and how people report their pain their processes for decision-making, how they might involve family members in their healthcare decisions. And it's really important when you're working with people to really pay attention and take the time to get to know them and to understand where they're coming from so that you can respect how their background plays into how they're interacting with you and how you can best interact with them.
0: When we think about this though, if we're treating people differently because of their race, doesn't that perpetuate the racism? Or isn't there a chance that it seems like we're perpetuating racism?
2: We live in a society that privileges white people and whiteness. We have to be cautious about stereotyping people. Each individual person belongs to multiple groups. I could be Black and Hispanic and live in a rural area we belong to a lot of different groups it's important to be aware of each individual person and treat them as an individual person we don't want to treat everyone a certain way because they're black or because they're hispanic we don't want to assume that that's the only thing that shapes their identity we know that black and hispanic patients with congestive heart failure or ami have higher readmission rates certain types of services are less likely to be offered to patients. For example, patients with osteoarthritis that might need a knee or hip replacement are less likely to be offered those services. I think not looking at race is what perpetuates those continued patterns.
0: That's that's great. I think your point about it being treating the individual patient is really the the differentiator with this type of service. Stephanie,
1: kind of Shifting to a rural focus, how can providers serving those small communities with little racial or, or ethnic diversity use their limited resources to implement the class standards?
2: It's important to have a plan handling a patient who might show up and is needing language assistance. There are ways to do that by using services that are not particularly expensive, but it is important for organizational leadership to take into account these potential needs and to have a plan for that. The thing with rural communities is there are also really distinct cultural differences between how a person who lives in a rural area engages with healthcare compared to somebody who lives in an urban area. And I can speak to this because I live in a rural area And I have lived in an urban area, and it is a much bigger lift to go to the doctor's office, to go to an urgent care. It's a lot more miles to go to an emergency room. So you just, you don't go unless you really have to. So access is different. There are also different cultural aspects. And there are serious disparities that we see with people who reside in rural areas, too. White women who live in rural areas are more likely to have uncontrolled blood pressure than people in urban areas. Adults, regardless of gender, who are in rural areas have a higher risk of developing heart failure. February is American Heart Month. So I've been looking at a lot of the statistics around that over the last couple of weeks in preparation. Maternal mortality for women in rural areas, the outcomes are just worse. They're twice as likely to have maternal mortality if you live in a rural area. I think especially for providers that serve small rural communities, it's really important to take the time to really know the community, both its strengths and the challenges that patients experience, adhering to treatment recommendations. It's a really different environment. Each community is different too. I mean, there's no one size fits all for a rural community to another rural community. It's important to emphasize the strengths of the community and to include the community in shaping healthcare systems that work well, where people have access to what they need to be healthy. Health and Human Services has placed a lot more emphasis on issues of equity. They have really revamped how they're addressing equity. They've kind of made it the center of things versus something that is kind of a secondary concern. That matters in terms of providers know that public reporting is there and if they're going to be held accountable for inequity and if it's going to be built into measurement a different way, it helps to bring this emphasis. I also think it's the accreditation is critical as well and that comes from outside of government. Like Joint Commission is also placing huge emphasis on this. I take part in a lot of conversations about accreditation of new measures, and it's always a question that is addressed to measure developers, how they're accounting for equity in the statistical modeling. The core of how we measure healthcare, this has become a really big question And a big emphasis the disparities have always been there but there is more more drive to change how we look at it change the accountability around it i think it's a really hopeful environment i've been working in this field for at least 25 years and it's always been part of the conversation but not like this
0: absolutely actually The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, through our contract, our QIO contract, has asked us to help agencies that are working on CLASS already to provide some assistance. Tara, I know you've been working on that a little bit. How's that going?
1: At QSource, we've been able to kind of take that survey of those questions that have to do with the different CLASS standards. We've put them in a very easy, user-friendly sheet. Or any organization can just click a link and go through the survey. It only takes about five minutes, but it really shows them where their gaps and their areas for mitigation might be. And those responses of course are confidential between the organization and QSource. And we just look at those responses to see where we might be of help. And of course our help is always free to the organization as we are funded by CMS. So we're excited and eager to get out there and start working with organizations that are interested in looking at the class standards.
0: Thank you, Tara. Stephanie, I want to thank you for for talking with us today, sharing some really great information about class and talking to us about why it's important, how people can start working on it and the environment around it. Thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Conversation Podcast, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon.